Lord, we do stand in awe of the greatness and majesty, the length and breadth and height and depth of your love for us. Revealed to us throughout scripture, shown to us in Jesus Christ, and continually exemplified to us in our lives through your forgiveness. And Lord, help us to relish and enjoy uh, the great kindness of your love this morning and celebrate uh, the freedom that we have in you, Lord. Thank you for this time to gather together. We pray this in your name, amen. Kindness isn't often what we think it is. Especially in, in scripture and, and from God through Christ, kindness is what, isn't what we think it is. We often misunderstand it. Sometimes I think we fool ourselves into thinking that we're being kind when we're really not. And I think sometimes as well we, f- we forget or just don't understand what kindness is. And as I was looking through scripture, I realized how weak and shallow my own understanding of kindness is. It's, it's not niceness. Nice people can be kind, kind people can be nice, but it's not the same thing. It's, it's more than just niceness. It's not necessarily just doing what I think would be kind, although it can be. And we often have this incorrect misper- misperception. Uh, God's kindness is really on a totally different level than ours, as are all the fruit of the Spirit. They are fruit that originate with God. They're part of God's very character, God's very nature. God is completely kind in everything that he does. And we can't comprehend the length and the breadth and the height and the depth and and know the love and kindness of Jesus Christ. We need his strength to do that, to comprehend it. So as we've done in every one of these sermons on the fruit of the Spirit, we need to first look at God and look at scripture and what scripture says about God and what scripture says about God's kindness. Because they are fruit of the Spirit, they come from the Holy Spirit, they originate in God and we only have them because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us as Christians. So first of all, we're gonna see that kindness is from God in Christ. Kindness is from God in Christ. And if you wanna turn with me, we're gonna look a great deal at Titus 3, three through five. And that's gonna show us what God's kindness is like and how his kindness is totally above and beyond ours. But first of all, really illustrates where we were at without Jesus. First, Titus 3, verse three. It says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hated, hating one another. Let's just stop right there. Consider that type of person. That's a pretty extreme person. Would you want to be that kind of person? Well, well, the problem is all of us are that kind of person without Christ. And many of us at times act that way as well without Jesus Christ. Look specifically at the the second half of the verse. Uh, Paul says that we were often and still are people who express malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. And when you think about it, kindness really is a relational fruit. We express it to one another because God has first expressed it to us. And Paul is talking here about how we, as unbelievers, lacked kindness in relationships. 
And the, the, really the root of it is envy, and we see envy right from the start, right from page one and two and three of the Bible. Adam and Eve envied God and the fruit that he would not allow them to eat, so they ate it and fell into sin. Cain killed Abel out of envy. Joseph's brothers sold him to slavery instead of killing him out of envy. Our divisions and divisiveness often come out of envy. That's not acting in kindness, that's acting in, in pride and self-centeredness. We're all once wrongly relating to one another because of our sin nature. We didn't want to be kind to others without Christ, and often as Christians, we don't necessarily want to be kind. So Paul here is calling us to humility. He's saying, remember humbly what you were without Jesus. And it's, it's an ugly portrait. But he goes on to write this in verse four, but. And that's, that's the most wonderful and the greatest conjunction in all of scripture. It occurs again and again and again. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. But when Jesus came. And Paul here is making a play on words with, with Christ and with the, the Greek word for kindness. If you pronounce the Greek word for kindness, it would be krestos. It sounds an awful like, like Christian, doesn't it? Or Christ. In fact, early believers were called Christians. It's like they were be, being called goody-goodies or they, they were being called kindies. They were being called what they were. Because of what Jesus had done for them, they acted in kindness and that was their nickname. It probably wasn't a good nickname given by other people, but it expressed what they were. They were kindies. Christians are called kindies because the loving kindness of God appeared in a person, Jesus Christ. God's flesh and blood kindness came and God illustrated it through a person. He appeared, Jesus appeared, we had this epiphany. Literally, God shone his light and through him we can see kindness. God showed his kindness throughout the Old Testament. He showed it to Noah, he showed it to Abraham, he showed it to Isaac, he showed it to Jacob, to the people of Israel. God's kindness is his theme song throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the word hesed is often translated in the Old Testament, loving kindness or steadfast love. Just in the Psalms, this word occurs 153 times. So more than once in every Psalm. If you look at Psalm 136, 26 verses, every single verse ends with his steadfast love endures forever. God is known for his loving kindness, for his steadfast love. One scholar describes it this way. The word describes something that happens within an existing relationship, whether between two human beings or between God and man. In human relationship, hesed implies loving our neighbor not merely in terms of warm emotional feelings, but in acts of love and service that we owe to one another simply because he or she is part of the covenant community. All throughout the Old Testament, God showed his love, but in the New Testament, God revealed it in a person. John says it this way in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Remember that phrase, we're going to look at that in just a few minutes because it really describes how we express kindness to others, being full of grace and truth. Just as Jesus was, we need to be as well. So getting back to Titus, Titus 3 again, let's read that. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. His kindness coming from his mercy saved us. Kindness and mercy are are very similar. In fact, often in scripture, they're connected one with another. When you see kindness, you'll see mercy. When you see salvation, you see kindness. And we'll see that throughout uh, this message as we look through scripture. God saved us not because of works that we've done, not because of good things we could do, because we can't do anything good to please God on our own without Jesus. It's not a free ride from God. We don't receive saving kindness from God just because we've been born. God's saving kindness is not universal. His saving kindness is not expressed to everyone. Paul writes this in Romans eleven twenty two. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity to those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you'll be cut off. So kindness is directly related to salvation in scripture. It's shown specifically to God's people and it comes from God's people. Kindness is from God and Christ. We haven't really defined it yet, what what is kindness? Well, one person calls it a disposition to be kind and good. For remember, we say this on Communion Sunday that we take a benevolence offering. Benevolence is another word for kindness. It's, It's a kindness offering where we encourage you to give so the church can show kindness to people who are in need. Another way to define it is this. Kindness is the desire to do what's in your power to prevent the discomfort in another. Or if you've got your nine guide that we gave out and still have in the back, uh, the guide says it this way. Kindness is expressing to others the same mercy and grace that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. This can be shown both in words and in actions to those around us without merit. And it's not something that God just does, it's something that God is. It's his nature, it's his character to be kind. But what does that look like? How does that flesh out in practice? So how do we, how do we live out kindness as believers? Well, I think there's a couple things that we can remember. First thing is this, kindness is need-based, not merit-based. Kindness is an action, something we do. And if you've been through the college application process recently, either you or your kids, you understand the difference between need-based and merit-based. If you've done any of the college stuff lately, you've filled out the FAFSA form. Can't remember what FAFSA stands for, but it's the one that every single person has to fill out to see what you qualify for or what you don't qualify for. And scholarships that you get are either merit-based So they're earned, maybe by good grades, maybe by being a good athlete, maybe for some other reason, but but they're merit-based. And then some scholarships are are need-based. So when you fill out FAFSA, uh, it tells you what you don't have, and if you don't have, then you receive more scholarships than if you did have. 
And that's, that's the same way it is with the gospel. And we can see the connection between, the, between kindness and the gospel. Both the gospel and kindness are based on our need, not on our merit. Both the gospel and kindness are not earned or deserved. Somebody doesn't earn kindness from you. You don't show, show kindness just to the people who have earned it. Both the gospel and kindness come from the grace and mercy of God. And both involved a relationship. Often it's described in scripture as that covenant commitment between God and man. And God requires it of us. Micah 6.8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Micah doesn't say have kindness. He doesn't say do kindness. He says love kindness. Let that be your very nature because God has changed you, that you love to do kind things, that you love to provide help to those who are in need. Kindness is what we love before it is what we do. It's a genuine desire to help those in need. One particular event uh, in our life kind of sticks out in my mind. I always remember this. It was, it was May 1992, and Laurel and I were in the first church that God had called us to. In fact, it was the first year that we were there in Boone, Iowa. And as most churches do, this church provides the, the benefit of being able to go to a conference every year. So the senior pastor's father-in-law ran a conference at Hume Lake, California, and we decided to go to this Christian education conference. So being born and raised in the Midwest, I had really no idea what it meant to travel from Iowa to San Francisco to Hume Lake, but we'll get into that in just a second. It was gonna be a long day because we're gonna drive from Boone to Des Moines, fly from Des Moines to Phoenix, then Phoenix to San Francisco, and then drive from San Francisco to Hume Lake all in one day. I learned afterwards that was a little bit ambitious. Oh, and I forgot to say, Laurel was four months pregnant with our first child at the time. So things like heat and smell and motions, emotion triggered her morning sickness. So we got a ride from Boone to Des Moines. We flew from Des Moines to Phoenix and then changed planes to fly to San Francisco. And we were thinking ahead, so we brought along these gallon-sized Ziploc bags. So if we needed them anywhere, we'd have them. And I remember distinctly, uh, remember leaving one of these full Ziploc bags on the plane seat as we deplaned one of the planes. It was, it was a long day for Laurel. So we got our rental car and we started to drive. And it's fairly flat from San Francisco to Fresno. And flatlanders, I didn't understand mountains at all. Never been to California. So once you start heading from Fresno up under the foothills of the Sierra Nevada, you go up about 5,000 feet. And mountain roads aren't straight. If you've ever been on one, you understand what I'm saying. They're not straight. They wind back and forth and back and forth, 25 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour. And I thought I was being really smart. I thought, hey, maybe if I drive faster, we'll get there faster, and Laurel won't get as sick. And that, that obviously didn't work. We had to stop a couple times along the way. It wasn't good strategy. But finally, after a couple hours driving up these windy roads, we checked in at the Christian conference at Hume Lake Camp, got our room assignment, we went to this building. And we got to our room. And we've, we've got this room, 
and it's like a, a staff building. So there's one long hallway down each side in the central area, and, and one bathroom for men and one bathroom for women in the whole building. So Laurel's thinking, and I'm thinking as well, I can't stay in this room in the middle of the night, have to walk all the way down the hall to a bathroom. We, we, we need a bathroom in our room. So I went to the camp office, and I, I pleaded with the lady who was behind the desk, can you help my pregnant wife? Can you please give us a room that has a bathroom in it? So she gave us this key, and we went to this building, and we went up on the second floor, and we walked into the room, and it was, it was like a hotel room. And I, I told uh, my senior pastor's father-in-law later, he said, don't tell anybody, that's where the speakers stay. So we had this beautiful room, hotel room, with this big bed, a bathroom, a balcony overlooking Hume Lake. If you've ever been to Hume Lake, it's just gorgeous there. And it was just amazing. It was an extremely kind gesture. I, I don't know who that lady was. I tried to go back and thank her again, but I couldn't figure out who, he was, who she was. It was an extremely kind gesture based on our need, not because we deserved it or because we earned it. And you know, you don't often really know what your kind acts from a heart that loves kindness mean to others. You don't know what a meal delivered during sickness or after someone dies means to someone. You don't know what an act of service by doing someone's yard work means to them, or a card, or a phone call, or a gift, or something like that. Any of those things that God prompts you to do out of kindness, you often don't know what they mean to other people, but God calls you to do it nonetheless. Recently, I got one of those calls, somebody left a message saying they wanted to see if I could help them out, and often, as a pastor, those calls are for people who want something. But this person wanted to give something to someone else and wanted my help to do it. And I could probably, I don't think I'd use all five fingers if I could think back over 30 years to how many calls like that I've received as a pastor. But someone wanting to show kindness specifically to another person. Kindness is, is need-based, it's not merit-based, it's shown through our actions. Next, kindness is constructive, not destructive. And it's shown specifically through our words. The psalmist writes this, Psalm 141.5, let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it's oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Or the Proverbs write, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. It's, it's, it's really difficult for us, and I've seen this so many times, and I've experienced myself. We have a double difficulty with saying hard things to a brother or sister in Christ, especially when they're in sin. We either don't say something because we think it's kind to not say something, we don't want to offend them, we don't want to look bad or ashamed either, or we do the opposite thing. We're like this bull in a china shop, and we say whatever we're going to say, we don't care about the consequences. I, I, I said to a friend once, it's like, it's like throwing dynamite in your backyard to get rid of a few weeds. You might get rid of the weeds, but you've got a lot of collateral damage as a result. Words that are not said in kindness, even though they may be truthful, can be more destructive than they are constructive. But God calls us to speak in kindness to one another, and it's not necessarily always uh, 
nice words, but they're helpful words. And I love Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29 is probably the best passage that describes how we can speak in kindness to one another. And Paul really breaks it down for us in Ephesians 4.29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So that corrupting talk is, is really rotten talk. It's decaying talk. It's like finding mold or water damage in your house and the, and the wood is, is decaying. That's the kind of words that he's saying not to say. But he says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up. He's asking us to speak words that give strength to one another. It says in Job 4, 4, your words that have upheld me, upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. It's talking about words that, that build up and encourage and help another person. They, they build them up and give them strength. Secondly, it's, it's words that fit the occasion. Paul says it in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know what, how, to ought, how you ought to answer each person. And I like that salt analogy. You don't, you don't sprinkle salt on a wound. You sprinkle salt on food to make it taste better. And it illustrates that idea of the occasion. There's an occasion for salt, and there's an occasion when you don't spread salt. And so you need to think about it. As you're, as you're saying words that you want to be kind and helpful to another person, is this the right occasion to say what I'm going to say? Or is this an inappropriate time? You need to follow the Spirit's leading in that. So words for building up, words that are apt, that fit the occasion. And finally, words that give grace to those who hear. Proverbs 12:18 says this, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Gracious words, words that come from Jesus. Words like we described earlier, John described in John 1, full of grace and truth. And not just grace and, and no truth, but truth and no grace, or 50% grace and 50% truth, but 100% of both. Scott Sauls describes it this way, truth without grace is unwelcoming and shaming. So just saying something that's truthful without saying it graciously shames another person. It doesn't love them, it doesn't show them that you have their back. And then he goes on to say, grace without truth is cowardly and enabling. If you're just saying things nice but you're not saying them truthfully, you're not helping the person. In fact, you're, you're hurting that person. And he finishes by saying, only by combining grace and truth, love and law, compassion and conviction, kindness and a call to repentance, can the gospel be faithfully embodied. Kindness is, is, is constructive, it's not destructive. So we need to think about that as we use our words, that we're saying things that are good for building up, that they have fit the occasion, that they give grace to those who hear. And then briefly, kindness lasts forever. We've been studying on Wednesday mornings the book of Ephesians. 
And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is, is an awesome passage. And this verse pops out in Ephesians 2, verse 7. It says this. Uh, let me start with verse 6. You, by grace you've been saved. He's raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. These are immeasurable riches. They're not just middle-class fancy riches, riches that we can afford. These are, these are things that we can't even measure or contain. They're so great. And he's going to show us those riches forever. The coming ages, meaning ages in this life and ages forever, it's never going to end. He's never going to end showing us his riches. He's just of his kindness. He's just going to keep on going on and on and on, showing us his kindness in Christ Jesus. And, and a, a, really a, a beautiful passage illustrates this in 2 Samuel 9. I encourage you later to read it through. But in 2 Samuel 9, David has just brought together his kingdom. Saul and Jonathan are dead. He's reigning now in Jerusalem. And David says to his servants, is, is there anyone to whom I can show God's kindness, uh, the kindness that I wanted to show to Jonathan, to his family? And so one of his servants comes to him and says, well, there's Mephibosheth. He's crippled in, in both feet. And that was a, a definite uh, downer to relationships then uh, at, at that time. But David wanted him brought to the palace. And David invited him in and Mephibosheth was fearful. But David told him, hey, you're going to get all of the land that was belonged to your family. And what David says at the end of that is, is so beautiful. David says to him, you're going to sit and eat at the king's table always. So this man who was crippled because he ran away, because he was fearful what would happen to him, because he was related to Saul who was trying to kill David, and now Saul was dead and David's best friend Jonathan was dead. He was, he was fearful and his servant was fearful, so he, they dropped him and he was crippled. He's now sitting at the king's table always. And it says at the end of verse 13 in that chapter, and he was crippled in both feet. And we're just like Mephibosheth. We're, we're crippled, we're, we're lame because of our sin. We don't deserve or merit any kind of kindness from God through Christ. Yet Jesus shows the kindness of God to us and he says to us, you're gonna eat at the king's table always. I will always be trying to plumb the depths of my kindness that I wanna to show to you in Christ in heaven forever and ever. So as I was thinking about this, my first response is, is I need to repent and we need to repent. Paul says this in Romans 2.4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His kindness is meant to lead us to our first repentance where we first trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior, but his kindness continues to lead us to repentance for the things we do and we say and the way we act that doesn't show God's kindness to other people. And it really, really could say in this passage, the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience do you despise? 
And when we, we sin, especially when we sin against others, we're despising God's kindness because he's great, given us this immeasurable kindness and we, can't, we don't have the ability or the desire to show it to someone else because he's shown it to us. And we try to do it in our own willpower and we can't because we need to trust the Holy Spirit. So we need to repent of that lack of kindness. We need to repent of our harshness towards others. God isn't harsh with us. We shouldn't be harsh with others as well. Next, we need to rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30 says this, come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, you don't see the word kind in there, but it, but it is there. In verse 30, it could be translated this way, my yoke is kind and my burden is light. Same word there is used for kindness in other places. God's yoke is, is kind to us. We all bear a burden in this life because of sin, and God wants to take that laboring yoke off of us and give us his own yoke, but, it, but it's a kind yoke. It's, it's like this, pretend you're in a lake, uh, it's 4th of July, you're out in the middle of the lake, and you, you fall off the boat and you start to drown. And Jesus is sitting in that boat, and he says, I'm gonna throw you my yoke, and you're thinking, a wooden yoke, it's gonna make me drown, but the yoke he throws us is a life preserver. And all we have to do is put that life preserver on and we'll be saved. That's what he does for us in Christ. The yoke that he gives us is easy, it's kind. It's better than anything that the world can give us. And he wants us to rest in him and so live in him. Satan wants to throw us an anchor. Satan wants to drown us. Jesus wants to throw us a life jacket to save us and preserve us. And Jesus wants us to show this kind yoke to others through our showing them the kindness and love of Jesus. So we don't have a one thing, but what I would say would be the one thing is this. Live and act in the kindness of Jesus. Read through some of these scripture passages yourself. Pray and, and thank God. Read through Psalm 136. The many things that are listed there, and it says, your steadfast love endures forever. Pray through that and realize how kind God has been to you and how he enables you by faith from your heart to be kind to others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace that you've shown to us through your kindness in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would enable us to act act it out and live it out today. To love you and to show your kindness to others around you. And please bless us through that, especially in helping us to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, your greatest kindness. And we pray these things in your name, amen.